I remember a couple of years ago, I was like, I was on this like New Year's New Year's like buzz, and I was like, I'm gonna get fit and get healthy, and I started doing reformer Pilates. Does anybody know what that means? So it's not for, on the ground, like it's like on a machine. And anything I do, I do 100%, and then I teeter off, right? So I start off being like 200% into it. So I'm like, I can do this, I do gymnastics, I'm flexible, I can do this. And so I get on this machine, but what I didn't know was, there was no, I hadn't set the resistance. And so I set on it, and I'm like, right, let's go, right? I needed two people from the Pilates class to pick me off the machine. I inadvertently did the splits and hurt myself quite badly because I was like, and <sighs> um, so I learned that year that new year, new me doesn't really work for me. It actually pulls muscles and destroys me for quite a long time. So this, I'm not going to do a sermon today. Everything on my Instagram feed and everybody's talking about is New Year, what's your resolutions? What are you doing? And so since that year, I'm like, no, it doesn't work. What is it? 85 to 90% of New Year's resolutions and doing things fail within the first three weeks. You don't even get to the end of January. And even as Christians, we start off like that. We're like, this year I'm going to have quiet time. I'm going to be up at six for prayer. I am going to do it all. I am going to, like me and God are going to be like this. I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to, like, by the end of the year, I'm going to be raising people from the dead. Okay? I'm just going to be so holy. People are going to look at me and think, oh, she knows Jesus. Um, but again, let's be honest. Does it ever work? Do you think maybe human nature... Now, there's some, some of you that are amazing, right? So I'm like, I, I know, like I'm looking at Naomi, like she's just like, she'll, if she decides to do something, nothing, nothing will ever deter her. Even advice from... No, she's like, she's made up her mind. So some people are steadfast and they can hold her. But can we have a show of hands? Who's a bit like me? You tease her off a little bit, yeah? Yeah, grand. Because that would not, this sermon would not have worked if, if everybody was like, no, you just need self-control. You need to learn to trust God do a bit of work. Well, we're not going to do that today. Today we're going to look at um, the names of God. And why are we starting part of the new year looking at the names of God? Because, do you know, so much of our Christian walk after a while turns into what we can do for God. If I can worship God more, if I can pray more, if I can be more disciplined, if I could just stop sinning in that big thing that's been haunting me for years, if I could, just, if I could do that, then my relationship with God would be amazing. It would solve all my problems. If I could do this. But the thing the whole Bible is about, the thing that our faith based on Christ is about, is that we can do nothing. It is about what he has done and what, who he is. And the whole story and um, the whole purpose of the Bible is to declare who God is who he is, what his character is about. Not all our failings, not what we can do to fix the failings. It's a beautiful love story of declaring who God is, who his character is towards us, and it's based on who he is. So let's look at his names. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, let's start there, there's a lot of, there's a load of them there, right? So don't worry, kind of small, we're gonna, we can't do all of them, we'll be here. That's a teaching series for like six months of the year. We're not going to get there. You'll be happy. You'll be out for dinner. We're like, believe me, we're all wrecked. We will not be keeping here. But um, where I decided to land on the names of the Lord that we're going to look at 
In the Old Testament and Jewish tradition, there are seven names for God that are thought to be so holy that if they're written down, they cannot be erased. There's such reverence for these particular names. They are so special and honoured that in the Jewish tradition, at some point, they stopped even uttering them in the temple. They said, this, by even describing his name and who he is, it's so awe and we should have such reverence for it because of how, how awesome God is. Now, we don't hold to that tradition because when we come in um, under Jesus, we realise that there's no separation. There is, we do have to have a reverence and we do have to have a respect, but there's not that fear that was, was present in that tradition. But we are going to look at those names because they tell us who God is. And I think sometimes um, our failures, our experiences... Uh, just living in the world, we can take on some misconceptions about who God's character is. If you, if, you, if you look at even Christianity, some people I've seen and they're preaching and they're teaching and the God they're speaking about doesn't really seem to be the God that I know. It's very different to who the living, breathing God that I have encountered and I know. And the thing is, it can't be experiential where, well, I feel... This is what God is. I feel he is the truth. I feel he is in the acts of love that I do. This is why we have the Bible to keep us grounded. Not as a judgment to other people who who go that way, but as a way to keep us grounded so we can say, no, this is who the real God is. This is his character. And he wouldn't do that, wouldn't act like that, wouldn't stand by that behaviour because of who he is. So it's important we need to know who God is and his character and his traits and who he is. So in the Old Testament tradition, there were so many gods. The God of war, the God of fertility, the other cultures had so many gods. And so the God of Israel had to declare who he was. I am not the God of war. I am not the God who asks you to sacrifice your children. I am not the God who, who um, there were so many, like who causes you to mark and hurt your body as a way of worshipping him. There were some of the traditions of the other cultures that surrounded Israel. So he declared from the very beginning, even in Genesis 1-1, he declared who he was by his name. Um, and in the tradition, your name meant who you were. Right, so my name means, is Margaret, right? And it means Pearl. Um, now, I particularly think it, for years I had a hate relationship with my name because I was like, first of all, all I ever heard was like, oh, that's my granny's name. Um, and, you know, a Pearl. And maybe as I've got older, I've come to, I've come to appreciate it more. It's um, a grain of sand that it's formed out of a grain of sand through friction. Which is kind of testament to my life, yeah. Um, but I always love knowing people's names and say, our, our, my eldest son, um, Ben, his name, Benjamin, means son of my right hand. And Samuel means um, the Lord has heard. Um, but I looked at some people's names in church this morning. So Robert. Rob means, comes from the Germanic root, meaning bright and fame. So if I don't see an X factor, you're not told to your name. Um, Naomi, your name means pleasant and gentle. It's so true, so true. <laughs> um, Stephen, your name is derived from the Greek Stavanos. 
Um, and it means wreath or crown, and it mean, uh, the extension of meaning would mean reward, honour, renowned, and fame. So when you're famous, remember. Okay? I am not above gifts, if you have financial benefits. Okay? Um, Sarah, your name is from the Hebrew, and it means princess. Uh, Trevor, your name's Welsh. It's from Trevor, and it means um, large settlement. <laughs> but it does, because people will be called that if you're from a large town. Turns out you're from a large town. Who knew? Lorraine, I don't know why you're laughing. Your, main, your name means quiche. No, it doesn't. <laughs> it actually doesn't. It means um, uh, derived from the Germanic meaning famous army. And if you've crossed Lorraine, you know she will come at you like a cross army. Um, and Andy means, um, or Andrew from Andreas, it means manly, brave, strong, courageous, and warrior. So he's my husband, so I'll just take that in. Um, so, like, traditionally names had meanings, and we laugh about that. And, you know, nowadays they don't have to, and that's okay. You're not being anti-biblical if your child doesn't have this amazing biblical name. But in the time that God was speaking, he meant that there were names. His name, he needed to clarify who he was. So he gave his name. So the first name we're going to look at, I think, yeah, thanks, Mal. It comes from Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So in English, there's one word for God. God. Is everybody with me? I know it's very complicated, right? So there's one name for God, God. But in the Hebrew, that word would have been Elohim. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It refers to the creator God the God of ancient Israel. Some of the commentaries point out um, that this is really important, that from the very beginning in God's creation, he established two key points that apply throughout the book of Genesis and the rest of the Bible. He sets the tone. The first is that God is uniquely involved in the origin of the earth and the sky. They did not exist by themselves and are not a result of impersonal forces or spiritual beings. The second is that, because the world is God's creation, it reveals him and is subject to his will. God's craftsmanship can be seen in nature. His detail, his planning, and how he goes about things can be seen when we define him as the creator God. He doesn't doesn't, uh, copyright or plagiarize. He is unique. He creates. From the onset of Genesis, God is dealing with mankind. The opening chapters, where he was referred to as Elohim, is the beginning of God's story. So from the very beginning, he emphasizes that he is the creator. He created man himself. And he goes on, even when he's talking about creating man, it's defined as he was made in God's image. So even from the beginning, it's refer back to who he is. A lot of the time it's in our culture, it's self-focused. I feel, I believe, I am. But from the very beginning, he sets out, he created heaven and the earth. Okay, then it goes on and he speaks about he created man. But he made man in God's image. It refers back to him again. You are made in God's image. You are not an accident. You are not here by some genetic mess up by some liaison that happened. 
You are here because God created you. That gives you exponential worth. That means you are important. You are not defined by your mistakes. You are not defined by the family you came from, for good or for bad. You are unique and you are created by the Creator Elohim for His purposes. That can really transform your life and how you see yourself if you choose to acknowledge that the God Creator created you. In the even as you go on, Elohim is then used again in the Abraham narrative. God is the covenant maker and the one who initiates an interpersonal relationship with humanity. In the story of Jacob, it emphasizes the aspect of God that can transform a human life. And in the Joseph story, it stresses God's provincial, um, provincial, his sustaining power. So Elohim is the creator. He also creates man in his image. The same Elohim God is a covenant maker between Abraham. You have to remember, previously, this is also foreign to us because if you come into a church like this, a personal friendship with God is stressed. A personal friendship with God is stressed. And you may begin at that, and so it's not even a deal. But in their culture, Gods were distant. Gods were separate. Gods were people who wanted to smite smite you and hurt you. He started this new journey with people to have a friendship. A friendship with a living, breathing God. You can have a friendship with a living, breathing God. Sometimes we're, the Jewish culture I said, we're so afraid they'd never even speak this word or write it down and rub it out. Like you couldn't do that. We're maybe the other side. We're so familiar, we've lost the awe of things. So let's remember the Elohim God. In each instance, by reversing the usual nexus, one comes to the understanding of the nature of God. One must first ask what God has done before we can determine what he is like. That's just posh for saying. Let's look at what he's done to show us who he is. Let's look what he's done to show and remind ourselves, who is this God, this Elohim? Now the other, there's seven names, right? So the, this one, Elohim is the plural of creator God. Now that doesn't mean that there's more than one God, just to clarify in case you're going to get some heresy going on. Um, it's in language, in lexical and language, plural. You're also dealing with the verb and the noun. God, Son, and the Holy Spirit as well. That's what it's taken to later on. The next one is Eloha, and that's the singular. And it appears 70 times in the New Testament, and that's what we've looked at there. So Elohim and Eloha are both creator God, and they can be interchanged, right? Um, the reason I even put that in is, if you then go look this up later on online, and no one really explains it, you can get some, some odd teachings. And we want to make sure we're grounded in the Word, and we don't go off on a tangent because you can call, you can find anything online, but you can only find the truth in the actual Bible. So let's try and stick in the Word of God. 
Now, the next one is Adonai, the Lord of hosts. It appears in Genesis 15.2. And it's when Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate will be Eliezer of Damascus? Now, number one rule of Bible teaching, don't randomly pull a Bible verse out and give no context. It's like, what's he talking about? Who's Abram? Right, but let's give some context. Before Abraham in the Old Testament was called Abraham, he was called Abram. He was the first person, that we said earlier, that God actually began the covenant relationship of friendship. Everything else was set before that. Um, the fall in the Garden of Eden, after the fall, there was no friendship. But God longed for friendship with his creation. And so he chose one of the tribes from one of the nations in the world and he chose a man who was faithful and had a good heart and his name is Abram. And they're having this conversation. This friendship had a conversation. You can have a conversation with the living God. And he's saying he, God had made him some promises. Now, do you ever any promises from God in your own life if anybody's given you word? You remember the bits of it that you want and the bits that you can say, oh well he could do that. God's good enough for that. So God might say, maybe I can just speak, I'm just going to use our own example. Um, we really would love our own family home. We rent, right? And we've been praying for years about it. And so we've had a few words. And so I can hold on to the bit. God can do that, right? God can do that bit. Now, there is other words where God is like, you know, giving us the desires of our heart, you know, like the type of house we like. And that my faith cannot reach that far right now. Right? So I'll just listen to the bit that I can imagine that can actually happen. Because we can kind of make that happen, we can say we can do that. So like I'm trusting God, but I can kind of do my own bits. So I'll hold on to the bits I can. The bit that's out of my control and is too far for me, I kind of zone, zone out. And be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was only that I was reading over some prophecies that I remembered that God had actually made us some promises. And this is what Abraham's doing. God had promised to bless him and give him land. That bit he could cope with. Oh yeah, I can do with that. Because I can kind of do that myself. I can kind of fight and get my own land back but give glory to God. So I can do that myself. But being of old age and wanting a child, a, re- a total heir, an heir, I have no control over that. I have to trust God. He's completely forgotten about that God had promised him that. And that's what that verse is about. He says, Sovereign God, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit? So he, he, in the verses previous, God had told him he would give him an heir. But he had forgotten. So in the Hebrew Bible, that word means Lord. In Greek, it means Kairos. It means also holy. And in some points in history, the name could be, couldn't even be uttered out loud. That is when the name Adonai, or Kairos, was used instead. Rather than saying God's real name, they'd call him Lord, use the word Adonai, to replace the term. In the previous chapter, Abraham had made his promises. We've been through all that. Sovereign Lord, Adonai, tells us that God is bigger bigger than what we think he is. He is the Lord of hosts. He is Lord of all. He owns the heavens and the earth. Everything is under his authority. So even the impossible 
is under his authority. Even the, the things that you have forgotten that God has promised you because it's just, it's just too big, it's too impossible. Adonai, the Lord of hosts, is Lord of everything. Your failures, your successes, your forgotten dreams, your lost hopes. Adonai, the Lord of hosts, is Lord of it all. All is such a small word and such an all-compassing word. We're going to have a time later on and I encourage you to think through it. To kind of take that. He is over it all. The bits that are just too impossible for you to even grasp that he could come through for. The next name for God is the actual literal translation, El. And it means God. But it's attached so many times um, in the Old Testament to, to kind of things you, you... If I asked you, some of you, if you've been a Christian while, you would have heard teachings on, on God. And El would be El, El Dai, God of Knowledge. Elion, God of the Most High. El Olam, the Everlasting God. El Roy. So in the Old Testament, they would attach God, El, to the word that would describe who he is. So it would be like we'd say, um, if I said your name and then said a characteristic about yourself. So Patrice, wonderful. Naomi, encouraging. There's, that's what they're describing in the Old Testament. L for God, because he is God. And then the word that marks his character. L die, God of knowledge, is in First Psalm 23. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is God, El die, who knows, and by him the deeds are weighed. Basically, they're saying, stop running your mouth off. God knows everything. He knows what you're doing. And he knows what you're saying isn't true. Elion, God of the Most High, is in Genesis 14, 18. Then Meshelzedek, king of Salam, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the God Most High. El Olam, everlasting God. Genesis 21, 33. Abraham planted a tree in Bathsheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the eternal God. In that time, he planted it as a remembrance. Something happened there. And he marked that tree to say, this is the everlasting God. El Roy, the Lord who sees, is in Genesis 16:13. This is Sarah, who the Lord had appeared to, the wife of Abraham, who was well beyond childbearing age, and the angel had appeared and said, um, I've seen your tears. I've seen your pain. The Lord has promised that he will give you a child. And her response was, you are the God who sees me. Or some people translate it as, I have now seen the one who sees me. I don't know about you, but my, how I became to know the Lord is very like Elroy. I was in the 
I was in a lot of emotional pain. Outside, grand. Inside, absolutely broken. And how I came to have a friendship with God or a relationship or a faith, whatever way you want to describe it, was I got so emotionally, spiritually and physically overwhelmed one night, I just didn't know if I wanted to go on. And I cried out, because my mum and my family had always told me about God, and he was there in the periphery. But I called out to him, and I said, God, if you're real, can you, can you show me? Right. And for me, it doesn't have to ever, but for me, I felt his presence invaded my bedroom. And I can say that I felt seen for the first time in my life. I had felt like an inconvenience that I was shoved in the corner my whole life. Now, I'm not saying that's what everybody's intention in my family and life were, but that's how it felt, right? But I felt seen for the first time, and that being seen changed my life forever. Elroy, the God who sees me, saw me. And it transformed my life. What does that tell us about God? It tells us that God sees Sarah, sees me, sees you. He sees you where you're at. It's not about that you can work up to being in his good books, that you can earn his favour, that you can do something to be worthy enough of him and his love. Scrap it. He sees you. Now, as you are, imperfect. Shock horror. We are all imperfect. We all fail daily. We are all broken and are in need of a saviour and need God. He sees you in all your brokenness and loves you wholeheartedly. Amen. The next one we're going to look at, don't worry, it's number five, we'll two more left. Yoo-hoo! Bring on the tea, there better be nice biscuits. Um, is El Shaddai. Again, we've learned that El means God. So El Shaddai means God Almighty. It's found in Genesis 17:1 when Abram was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to him. I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Again, because we come to know God and know about relationship, we don't like this is a moment in history that changed everything. Everything that had gone before was stopped. The beginning of our future as being able to have a relationship with God started in this moment. God, the living, almighty, awesome God, first of all spoke to a mere human and then said, I am God almighty, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. It's the beginning of the covenant between God and the people of Israel. The beginning of the story that would be the salvation story. God began a friendship with Abraham. That friendship produced a lot of things, but if you go down the lineage, fast forward a bit, it brought Jesus. It brought Jesus into the world to the lineage of Abraham, to the knowledge of God, to the Jewish faith, so that we could then the whole option of having a relationship with God was opened up to every tribe and every nation. Not just one anymore, but through Jesus. But it started at that moment. The God of heaven reached down and said, I am the God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. The covenant was based on following the rules. 
But that changed. But it was the beginning. This is when history changed. El Shaddai. Some of the concordance says, the covenant, which is the agreement between God and man, was established. There follows a fuller description of what is involved in the spiritual relationship that God had initiated or started. This covenant starts the birth of the salvation story that is symbolized both in the changes of Abram's name to Abraham and the visual sign of belonging to God, which for them was getting circumcised. The covenant is more than an agreement between two consenting parties. It became the very fiber of that community. Everything the children of Israel did was based off that moment, was based off that community. Everything they did came back to that covenant. What had God had asked them to do? They walked faithfully and blameless. Now they didn't always, they fell, and then they realised, we need to go back to the rules and the guidelines. And, uh, but that was the beginning of it. El Shaddai, the beginning of it all. Number six, name for God, is the one that maybe I had heard more, and it is, I am, I am. I am, I am. It's the English translation of the Hebrew phase that I'm not even going to try and say because I'll butcher it and it'll be an insult. It's in Exodus 3.14. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am, has sent you. It kind of reminds me of when my kids asked me, like, but why? And I said, because I said so. You know, it's a statement in itself. I am. Like, what's your name? I am. I am. I just am. He has no beginning. He has no end. He just is El. He is God. I kind of imagine, like, the children of Israel really give me encouragement because they remind me of just kids. Like, um, and, you know, like, they, but, like, who are you? I am. No, just go away. Like, just a statement in itself. I am, I am. In the Hebrew tradition, there's a lot of study into, his, into the name, and it says, I am, I am. It also means, I will become what I choose to become. I am what I am. I will be what I will be. I create whatever I create. I am the everlasting God. It's a term that encompasses all the names we've looked at there. He he is, he is. I am, I am. It encompasses the creator God. He will create what he will create. It encompasses El Shaddai, the almighty God. It encompasses um, Adonai. He will do it all. He is everything. The beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. The final one of name of God that we're going to look at is Yahweh. It's found in Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or, or my praise to idols. Yahweh, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or praise to idols. Some scholars believe that this is actually not even just a word, it is breath. Because in the, Jewish, in the Hebrew tradition, there's no vowels in it. Now in our way, we spell Yahweh or a H. Um, E-H, I think. I'm dyslexic, don't ask that. Um, but when you see it, if you see it written in Hebrew, there's no, there's no vowels in it. It's just a sound. Yahweh. 
which is breath. Without breath, there is no life. His breath breathed into Adam, created life. His breath breathed into you, brought you alive spiritually. Breath. With every breath we take, without realizing it, we we are glorifying God. The fact that we are here, the fact that we have been created, the fact that you have made us, the fact that you're still standing there, that there is breath in your lungs, there is life given to you by God. Yahweh. It is used when referring to Israel's covenant God. Because there was no life before the covenant and there is life now. There was life for them because of the covenant and in turn we now have life because through the covenant Jesus came. Amen. The purpose of the names of the Bible is to sh- of God in the Bible is to show the children of Israel and us by extension who God really is. His character, his ways of doing things, it, his names describe him. If God is God who saw Sarah older in life, barren and longing for a child, messing up in her pursuit of what she wanted by trying to make a way for her to fix it, that's where Ishmael came from, then he can see us. If God is the creator Elohim who from the very beginning made the earth and all that is in it through his perfect design, then we are not accidents. We are not simply here by chance. You are here today because the Lord wanted you here. He put breath in your lungs because he has life for you. Elohim, Elohai, Adonai, El, El Shaddai. I am, I am in Yahweh. All of these names remind us of who God is and how we get to have the privilege of having a relationship with him. It's all based on his character and who he is. Now the name that is above every other name, the character of God created a salvation story from Genesis 1-1 and it started again. Then it's a moment in history where he decided to have a relationship with Abraham. It accumulated in the New Testament. If we stop short of naming the final name of God, then we stop short of the salvation story. All of it, all the names, all the history, everything pointed to one point in history that was going to happen. And it was prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin, will, the virgin will receive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. Your father word. We've just finished. Um, we've just finished celebrating Christmas. Now I was talking to uh, uh, some Spanish people. And they're explaining yesterday was actually the end of Christmas for a lot of people on the continent, which is the, um, the 6th of January, and it's the Three Kings, and it's when they finally, like the traditional church, finally marks the end of Christmas. And the Christmas period is when a lot of things happen. But it's when we mark and remembering who Emmanuel is. And Emmanuel means God with us. Previously it was God. Um, he came down and he chose. But the covenant was based on following the rules. There was a purpose in it. It was important. I hope I've stressed that how it transformed history. 
However, it didn't stop with following the rules. Its purpose was to bring Jesus into the world. So not that one group of people could know Christ, know the Lord, but that all men, every, every nation could know God. Emmanuel, God with us. The living, breathing. In John 1, 4 it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God's character is faithful. He started at the story and he has continued to do the story, the salvation story. That Christ is for you, that God has made a way to reach us where we're at. Hi, Hi friend. What we're going to do is end um, We're going to have a time of two minutes. I'm going to put on the watch. Um, I'm going to give out communion. And I'm going to play a song called um, I think it's Adonai. And it's just speaking who God is. God is faithful. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. Take this time to reflect on who God is. Who Jesus is to you. How who he is has impacted and can impact your life. Not anything you can do, but just on who he is. How awesome his character is, how he is for you. I believe God can speak to us today because of the relationship we have, because of what Jesus has done for us. So I'm not going to speak what God is going to speak to you. I'm going to ask, I'm going to pray that God would speak to you during this time yourself. That his spirit would be so clear in your ear that you would hear him reminding you of who he is this morning.